I find it fascinating to think about the possibilities that could entail. And I just hope that it doesn't mean that people will stop learning other languages and trying to bridge the culture. This is Localization Today, a podcast from Multilingual Media. Every week, we look back on the news from Multilingual.com with a language industry specialist. What stood out? What are notable trends? How can we predict what is going to happen next? I am your host, Marjolein Groot-Nibbelink, publisher of Multilingual Magazine. I'm very proud to say I'm probably one of the few people in the United States who can pronounce this man's uh, name correctly. <laughs> That's <laughs> <I'm here> true. <laughs> I'm here today with Stefan Huyge, Vice President, Vice President of Translation at Communicate Language Solutions. You live in Texas. How long have you been there? I've been here 11 years uh, before I was in, in California for a long time, but in uh, in the Dallas Metroplex now since 2010. What brought you to the United States? Ooh, that's a loaded question. I met a, I was working I was working as a tour guide in the French West Indies, and I met yeah. a girl from San Francisco. And Chercher la femme, there's always a woman behind every good story. So I ended up in San Francisco following the then love of my life and ended up uh, staying. Uh, I've been here since 1993. So, Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It was a little uh, late notice, but uh, you are someone that we can always count on to jump on a story or an opportunity when it arises. Language is my life and my passion, so that's why I'm here. So this week you wrote such a fun article for us called That You Didn't Know That Much of Your English Is Actually Dutch. And of course I enjoyed it more than most people might because I'm Dutch born and raised and you yourself are Belgian. It talks about the influence of Dutch on the English language, largely stemming from the 16th and 17th centuries when the Dutch were prolific colonists and adventurers. In this article, you write, New York was originally coined New Amsterdam in the 17th century, and the term Yankee is really a phonetic rendition of the generic nickname that was used insultingly for the Dutch at the time. Jan Kees, or John Cheese, most people I meet don't know this, and I was in fact under the impression that the term just referred to the common Dutch name young case, and it wasn't meant as an insulting uh, term, and I didn't know the, the cheese connection either, although it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, how often do you end up bragging of the influence <laughs> the Dutch had in the initial development of the U.S. culture and language? <laughs> Well, given the, uh, the the slight animosity between the Belgians and the Dutch, it, it stings a little that it's it's really the Dutch and not the Belgians having this kind of influence uh, on, on the English language. Although the John Cheese thing is a little derogatory, so that gave me a, a chuckle. Uh, <laughs> I have to admit. Uh, and isn't it wild that that the term Yankee? accepted here in the United States as a denomination to essentially coin a northerner at the outset uh, mm-hmm. as nothing to do with New, New York uh, itself no. and even less with northerners. It's a, it's a term straight out of Dutch. So the next time you hear the word Yankee, it should give you pause. Uh, I was actually amazed to find so many words in the language 
that you and I have in common. Uh, and can I get a quick peeve out of the way uh, to inform some of yes. our listeners maybe about Dutch and Flemish? Because historically, the Netherlands stretched uh, into northern Belgium. And what we call Flemish nowadays is really the same language with a, a southern accent, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the reason why you're only able to refer to the Dutch influence in this article is because at that time, Belgium was still part of the Netherlands. And and when we talk about the linguistic differences, though, I just wanted to point out that I used to watch the show, um, what was it, Team for 12? Yeah. It's a language game show Uh where the Belgians fight the Dutch and the Belgians are always better at Dutch than the Dutch people. (laughs) Well, we have to fight for our language uh, uh, more than you guys have to in, in Holland because we have two other national languages in, in French and German and Belgium. So it's a little bit later and, and more com, uh, complex, uh, so yeah. to speak. Well, you end the article with a couple of dozen words that are directly connected, the English and the Dutch original. How did you find these collection of words and why, why did you pick this lot? Because I know there's more than that are in the article. Oh, yeah, there's plenty more. I love finding overlap between languages. I've, I've always been fascinated by etym- etymology. That's a big word. Uh, being a little bit of a muck myself, finding bor- borrowed words like this is, is somewhat comforting, I, I think. It's, it's almost like a confirmation that a lot of folks before me were living in multicultural environments uh, uh, like both you and I grew up with the real Santa Claus, the real Saint uh, Saint Nicholas, uh, Santa Claus that that we grew up with, and and then afterwards was kind of imported here in, in the United States. I tell mm-hmm. that story in the uh, in the article uh, as well. Um, did you know that part of the reason that so many words, uh, Dutch words, made it into the English vocab so easily is also because there's a, a lot of similarity between the sound ranges in our languages and there's hardly any sound in Dutch that is not convertible into English, uh, so to speak. Right. And then, of course, the, the, the thing that stands out as well is that since the Dutch uh, were such a, a maritime powerhouse for a long time throughout history, mm-hmm. a lot of the words uh, that I selected were maritime words that were directly copied over. Um, the word boss comes to mind, which is the mm-hmm. essentially the, the, the person in charge of a, of a, of a ship. Um, and and deck is another one. These are these are maritime uh, words that were copied over directly into the English language and and into other languages too. And a lot of these are found more in American English than British English, yeah. very much more. So cookie is prime example. Yeah. No other British say biscuit. <laughs> Biscuit is for my dog. I always laugh. With my, brother, <laughs> yeah, right. my brother-in-law is English too. And when he says, do you want a biscuit? I'm like, you can give that to the dog. <laughs> Maybe the American culture was just more open because we're built, you know, they're built from different cultures. Yeah, but I think it has to do a lot with the with the the, the Dutch landing in, in New York and being the first settlers there. Uh, as I tell in, in the story, uh, New York was originally New Amsterdam and uh, New Holland was the region that the, the Dutch landed. 
And I think that's probably the reason why there's so many more words in American English uh, than there than there might be in, in the British English, because there's a much more direct correlation, so to speak. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Language evolution never happens within just one singular group of people, I don't think. And um, we write quite a bit about language evolution on multilingual.com. And there were some other articles this week that touched on the topic of language evolution. Andrew Warner wrote an article called How Digitization Helps Preserve Languages. So we're always in one place in the evolution of a language. There's what happened before us, there's what happens ahead of us. And he talks in this article about a recent project to digitize indigenous languages across the world and how these projects can aid in language revitalization. So storing the linguistic data of underrepresented languages online makes things a lot easier for researchers and language communities to share information about the language. This made me think because language evolves through use and speech and cultural adaptation, just like we were just talking about. So will this kind of storage perhaps freeze a language in time, so to speak? Do you think it could arrest the linguistic development that's tied to vocal usage of language? It's a very interesting concept. It's worth a shot. I think it's a noble cause at the very least. It seems to me that language is, is always evolving, uh, even when you have the impression that it's a stagnant same language. Vocabulary changes consistently. Listen, in the 1980s, we didn't know what a cell phone was. And maybe in 10 or 20 years, we won't use cell phones anymore and it will disappear from the language uh, altogether. That's the challenge with this effort, I think, is that you can preserve it. But I'm, I'm really doubtful that you can use it very much to revitalize a language because so much is tied to a particular moment in time. So what you're saying is actually a really good point. You see, you can take a snapshot of a language just like you can take a photo of a person, but they're still going to develop. They're still going to grow up. They're still going to look different 10 years from now. Yeah. And that recording can only be helpful to see that change more clearly. It's, it's almost impossible to have an unfiltered view back in history, don't you think? No, that's a, that's a very good way of looking at it. Another article we had this very week about language evolution was titled What AI Could Tell Us About Language Evolution. So this isn't about the recording of a language for later analysis. This isn't about how language has developed in the past handing it down from culture to culture. But this is about a recent study that shows that AI can help us better understand and even predict changes to a given language. Changes we might only be able to see if we look back 50 years from now, but now they're using AI to see the small changes, right? So they analyzed about 2,500 signs used in American Sign Language and found that simple signs tend to be more common and therefore, the researchers believe that the language has evolved to be a bit easier to use as a communication tool. And they can see this difference, they can see this change faster than we might notice it ourselves as it's evolving right now. And I've always felt that this is happening with spoken languages too. Our vocabularies, just like you said earlier, uh, are being expanded constantly. We're adding words all the time, but at the same time, they're more limited than that of our parents and grandparents, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, it's it, this is it, it's along the same lines as the topic we were talking about before. And again, it, it's very fascinating. I thought this the way this article illustrated how sign language words that were more complex to sign were slowly being phased out and the ones that are that are easier to um, mimic with your hands. I think we go through certain fads with words. They, you know, they don't always stick around and and maybe they, it's like, you know, short dresses or long dresses. That's at some point, certain words. They'll come back. They'll, they'll come back. Yeah. So, so we're adding words to our vocabularies, but we're, we don't seem to be using all of the ones that are already there. So how can we assure that we're still using older vocabulary? And I'm a very mm -hmm. nostalgic person and wonder why can't we speak like this nowadays? So even though our languages are not endangered as a whole, you can kind of say that there's some, there's a lot of vocabulary that's kind of tucked away in corners and not being yeah. touched. So how can we revive that or, or keep that going in our m modern lexicon? Mm. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think some of the responsibility really squarely lies with the education system, I, I feel. I find mm -hmm. it strange that there is not nearly as much focus on proper writing as when I was in school, for example. Again, Absolutely. I have a 16-year-old that essentially does not know how to write cursive. Um, and it's so important, I think, to, to learn those things and to, to learn. Man, I, we would come home with, with lists of words that we had to learn the yeah. definition uh, of. And, and, you know, that that would enrich your your vocabulary. I think you sound so much more intelli intelligent. And so, unfortunately, uh, I don't think the schools are often on the same on the same no. page nowadays, and that's at least not here in the states. And that might be a cultural difference as well, mm, because yeah, I was just having this conversation with my partner, and yeah, his daughter is in high school. She's a freshman, so she's gonna turn fifteen here in a month or so. Yeah, and I haven't seen her write one report. There's no reports. There's no that doing research. You know, we used to go to the library and do yeah. research, and it just comes from this idea that you can just find stuff on Google. It, yeah. You don't need to write reports. You don't need to learn how to go in depth and to, you know, create a comprehensive summary, you know, academic style, yeah. uh, and and learn to write and use lots of difficult words and. Yeah. Uh, we used to have tests in the Netherlands in Dutch school that was called the moeilijke woorden, the difficult <laughs> words lesson, you know, <laughs> 10 words. And I remember I hated studying. So I just, um, I would look them over usually on our 10 minute walk back from the, uh, from the gym. And uh, there was Lilliputter was in this list. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I would usually just make up whatever from the word. Yeah. I would just kind of analyze it and say, ah, it probably means something like this. And I would usually pass with that effort. And Lilliputter is so counterintuitive. It, it means like, what is the English word even? Uh, because I'm, a person I'm, with dwarfism. Yes. I'm, okay. Okay. So I was like Lilliputter and a put is a well. So 
I made this whole essay pretty much about how it's about, this is a person who goes and gets water from a well. <laughs> and the teacher just marked this up as like, how, where did you get this? This is completely ridiculous. Spend time studying. <laughs> you had a wild imagination even back in those days. Uh, oh, absolutely. Much wilder than it is nowadays. <laughs> so, you're saying the education system should put a better effort on uh, on educating and in inspiring kids to use the full scope or because even if you can communicate what you mean using simple words, maybe there needs to be some kind of reward system for going that little extra way, that little extra distance to use more complex words and maybe or maybe that's an academic thing maybe that only happens in college and maybe that only happens when you're interested in it maybe it will become an exclusive skill just like writing poetry no certainly certainly the, the schools decide whether they want to teach spelling or teach kids out the right cursive uh, and those are but two examples uh, along those lines and i think that has a it has a big impact on uh, the way kids learn how, learn how to express themselves. Well, let me wrap this up with uh, one or two more personal questions. Um, do you prefer to speak Flemish or English? What do you actually prefer personally? Uh, for me, Dutch will always be the language of my heritage, of my roots, and my family. So that's when I speak that language, it's a lot more familiar. It's a lot, you know, the people that I speak Dutch with typically are closer to me, mm -hmm. or, you know, feel like they're part of my, my roots, so to speak. When I speak English, English is the language of, you know, my adulthood. So anything that's feels slightly more empowered when I speak English than when I speak Dutch uh, because I essentially primarily spoke Dutch when I was uh, when I was a child, uh, yeah. and, and so it has a lot. The psychology of that is really weird. You feel the yeah. same the, the same uh, Marjolaine about about speaking Dutch and, and and English. Yes, I get more emotional when I say certain things in Dutch versus mm -hmm. English. It's mm -hmm. a very odd odd thing, I think. Yeah, you and I you and I tend to switch between one and the other yeah. sentence too sometimes. Yeah. But well, it's a term it's a term of endearment too, right? It feels close. Mm -hmm. So when you're switched to do a language that's your native language, you're essentially sharing a bond that not that other people don't have with you so to speak. So I think that that's yes. enriching to the friendship. So Yeah, because fully understanding another culture, I think always comes with an understanding of the language or those two are very closely related. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for, for being with us. Thanks, Marjolaine. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Localization today. To subscribe to Multilingual Magazine, go to multilingual.com slash subscribe.